following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. What a privilege and a joy it is to come to the Lord in prayer. And um, you know, I, I just hope that for, for all of you, it's, it's the same, that, that each morning when we wake up, we get to experience the, the fresh new mercy of the Lord. And because of the love that we receive, we are then able to love others. And how many ways can we love others? Is there, is there a number? Can we count the ways in which we can love others? Right? We can't. That's because the love of our God is so big. It's so great. It is, it is even infinite, which oh, <laughs> has so much meaning to me as a, as a math teacher. But... But we, again, we have the opportunity, and, and it is a privilege to, to come to the Lord in prayer. So I just ask you guys this morning that you would, that you would join me as we, um, as we open the service with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for each moment of each day that you've given me to, to gaze upon your glory and to gaze upon your beauty. Lord, I just pray that you would find me dwelling in your majesty, Lord, that I would seek you with all of my heart, my whole life, Lord, and I pray that each one here this morning, Lord, that you would just speak to them personally, Lord, that you would do a work in their hearts, and Father, that by your spirit, that you would reveal yourself through your word. And Lord, that you would just find us willing and able to receive what you're teaching to us. Lord, that we would not let the traditions of this world or the philosophies of man blind us from what it is you're telling us. And Lord, that we have the opportunity right now to lift one another up in love and to encourage one another. And Father, in this moment, Lord, I pray for for those who are are hurting, Lord, those who... Um, those who are in confusion and doubt, Lord, those who are suffering the loss of a loved one. And Father, we, we thank you and we give you praise also and we celebrate with those um, who, who are experiencing the, the freshness of, of birth and pregnancy, Lord, and those who are experiencing the, the freshness of, of marriage. And Father, right now I pray for, for Miss Judy Seibel, Lord, that you would just continue to encourage and strengthen her in your word. Father, I pray for um, Miss Victoria, Father, that you would uh, that you would strengthen her and encourage her, Father, um, in this moment. And Lord, and I pray for all the families of those who've lost loved ones, Father, just for for comfort. And Lord, we celebrate with them those who've gone on to be with you. And Lord, we even mourn ourselves for for being left behind knowing that we are the ones who are facing the trials and the temptations of this world. And Lord, I lift up Nathaniel, Matt's nephew, Father, who's experiencing extreme physical health conditions, Lord, that you would 
that you would just perform a miracle in, in this young child's life, Father, that if it's your will, that you would just declare your glory and majesty in him and in his family. And Father, I just thank you for, um, just for your, the great love and just the, just the way that you show yourself to us. And Father, I pray for, um, for, for Marla Bettinger and her family, Lord, as uh, they, they both get to, to celebrate her mother's life when she passed, but also, Lord, that, that you would just comfort them as they come together um, and just remember all the great and glorious times that they had with her. And I just pray that you would just give her um, traveling mercies as she travels to the States. And Lord, as, as each one of us is a missionary to our own families and our, and our workplace, Lord, that you would strengthen us to, to bring your word. And Lord, that we would be willing and able to encourage those uh, in our body who who need you, Lord Joe and Esther Davis, Lord, that we would be an encouragement to them and let them know that we love them dearly. And Lord, for Teresa and Ken and Debbie. And Lord, we lift up Randy Peterson, Lord, who is in a terrible motorcycle accident. Lord, that just thank you by the grace of God that, that he's still with us. And Father, that you would just use these moments and these times to make yourself known to those who need to, who need to hear the good news, Lord, the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, again, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. And Lord, that you would nourish us and feed us. Lord, that you are the bread of life. And Lord, you are the spring of water, the living water. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So, are, are we able to control what happens in the lives of, of others and even in the lives of ourselves? Are we able to do that? You know, we're, we're, we're not in control. And there, there are many things that, that we experience. Right? Life, is, life is great sometimes. Right? When we, when we uh, celebrate with those who are married, when we celebrate with those who, who have uh, children. But then on the other side of that, life can be tough. When we, when we lose a loved one, when we experience tragedy, right? when things don't go the way that we think they should, th- there's a lot in that. Right? Life is a, there's a tension and there's a balance. And I'm going to start the message this morning by looking at two men in the Old Testament who never tasted death. These two men were Enoch and Elijah. Enoch is an enigmatic figure spoken of in Genesis 5 as one who walked with God for 300 years. He fathered Methuselah when he was 65 and when he was 365 years young, and this is young at this time, his, his son Methuselah lived to 989, so 365 is young. <laughs> Verse 24 of Genesis 5 tells us that Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Again, he was not, for God took him. 
Hebrews 11 says that Enoch did not see death. Because of this, we cannot speak about Enoch in the past because he is. Right? You see that? He was not, so he is. Now, even though some perish in this physical life, if they're alive with Christ, they are. When the Sadducees questioned Jesus about the resurrection in Luke 20, Jesus said in verse 38, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all are alive. Four books were written in Enoch's name. They're called the Pseudophigra. He did not write them. They were written with with his name as the author. And they were written beginning in the second temple period of Jewish history. In these books, we can find some interesting material. Supposedly, some of the, the messages that were passed down from what Enoch said. There are many parallels between the lives of Enoch and Jesus in these books. In the first book of Enoch was incor- I'm sorry, the first book of Enoch was incorporated into the canon of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. And this book, First Enoch, was also quoted in the New Testament book of Jude. However, as interesting as all this is, I want to focus more this morning on the second person who we mentioned that did not see death, and that is Elijah. So I'm going to read part of 2 Kings chapter 2 for you, if you want to turn there with me. So let's pick up, um, this is 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. It opens with, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elisha was Elijah's apprentice. He was the one who was going to take Elijah's place. Three times Elijah told Elisha to stay here while he goes somewhere else. And Elisha refused to leave Elijah's side. Elisha knew that Elijah was about to be taken to heaven. He was told that if he sees Elijah taken to heaven, that it'll be granted anything he asks. And Elijah asks to receive a double portion of Elijah's spirit and power. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, we read that, and as they went, as as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So Elijah saw this; he he was with him during this time. He he witnessed this. Afterward, those who watched, there were some who were across the Jordan. They watched all this happen. They pleaded with Elisha after Elisha received. The power, and he came back across the Jordan. The men uh, told him, let us send out men to look for Elijah, as they thought God might have just placed him on a mountain or in a valley somewhere. But Elisha knew where Elijah was, and he denied the request. 
They urged him again to the point to where Elisha felt ashamed for saying no. So he took the request and had them send out 50 men to look for Elijah. Of course, as Elisha knew, they didn't find him. He knew where Elijah was. He was with the Lord. Even though Elisha knew where Elijah was, he still allowed them to go and look for them for their own good. We see this in life, don't we? There are times when you may know the answer to a question, but you ask anyway. There are times when people need to know something bad enough that you just have to let them go and learn it for themselves. As a teacher, I encounter this every year. I'll present a difficult mathematical topic in a way that my students can understand. Maybe a way that's not by the book. So right now we just started a unit on infinite series. And infinity is kind of a hard thing to wrap your mind around. So the minute you bring it up, the students, you know, they try and back away. And so you, you help them understand it in a way that, that may make sense. But what do they have to do? They have to go home. They have to work out the problems in the homework. And they need to learn it for themselves. Either using the book method or maybe the way that I explained it, that might be a little bit easier. They may struggle along the way. It's my job as a teacher to reassure them that I know what I'm doing. I've been teaching this for long enough that I know what they need to know before they need to know it. But even though I know how to solve the math problems and it makes sense to me, I have to let them go home and solve it for themselves. In the end... When my students leave the class after the year's over, if or when they go to college and they have to encounter these problems later, I know that they'll do better if they've learned it for themselves. And so that's where, that's the, the backdrop for, for this passage. So let's, let's move into the passage. This is... Uh, Quite a, quite a long passage we have this morning, so I was joking around earlier. We, we'll, we'll probably get out by 2 o'clock. I'm just kidding. Um, this is Luke chapter 7, 18 through 35. Um, if you're able, if you would stand for the reading of, of God's word. Questionable, yeah. Starting in verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. 
and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and lived in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before, your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. When all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. There are many questions asked in the passage that we just read. Here's a few of them. Are you the one? That's the title of the message. Are you the one? What did you go out to see? To what shall I compare the people of this generation? Before we dig into these questions, I'd like to add some context to our study by asking another question. What do we know about John the Baptist? We don't have John's entire life on record, but what I want to do this morning is I want to look at some highlights of John's life or the prophecy regarding John to add some, uh, and also look at some important counters between John the Baptist, his disciples, and Jesus just to help kind of fill in where we are right now. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where everybody's at in terms of uh, what you understand about John the Baptist. So I'm, I'm, there's a slide up here. Um, it's got a lot of passages on it. Uh, when I first started, I was like, oh, yeah, we'll review. And then I got into it. I was like, oh, we're not going to have time to, because <laughs> it's a lot. But I do want to read some of this with you. So if you're, if you're taking notes, if you'd like to, to write some of this down to go back and, and look at any of the, the passages that, that I don't read for you this morning, um, I'd encourage you to do so. Now, really important are the prophecies regarding John's arrival. So, this is Malachi 4, 5 through 6. It reads, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And then this is uh, Isaiah 40. Three through five. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, 
and uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So I don't, I don't know how much I need to tell you about John's birth. Um, some, when we get into the, the Christmas season, a lot of that kind of comes up. So if you've been to a, a Christmas message, and you've probably heard some of that. But, but let's just talk briefly about, about John's birth, okay? Who made known John's birth in, in Luke 1? This is Luke 1, 13 through 17. Who, who made this known to Zechariah, his father? An angel, right? An, an angel made this known. And Zechariah was a high priest and it was, he was on duty. He was in the, the inner, the Holy of Holies. And the angel appeared before him. And I'm just going to read part of this. This is uh, the angel speaking, and this is in verse 16 of Luke 1. And he, and he, John the Baptist, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, this was not the only extraordinary thing to happen regarding John's birth. We know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, also visited Elizabeth. And also Elizabeth was past childbearing years. So this was, the whole event is just miraculous. I mean, we, we could talk about it forever. But what happened when Mary visited Elizabeth? What, what happened inside of Elizabeth's womb? Yep, he leaped. It says, this is in verse 44 of Luke 1. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, this is Elizabeth speaking, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. I mean, the, the whole thing. It says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So that is, you know, that, that's all miraculous, right? So th- these things would have been made known to him throughout his, his younger years. But let's hear from, let's hear what John says himself, right? What is John's testimony? So this is um, John the Gospel of John 1, 19 through 23, starting in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not, which is really interesting. We don't have time to (laughs) to dig into all that. Because before they said he came in the, the spirit and power of Elijah. They said, are you a prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So we, um, we get a couple passages that 
talk about John's disciples and their kind of interaction with Jesus and what's going on. Uh, this is, uh, be- before we get into that, the, the, some of the disciples, those around would have seen this. This is Matthew 3, when John baptizes Jesus, right? What, what occurs just after John baptizes Jesus? It says the, a dove, it's like a, the spirit of God, like a dove descended upon Jesus, right? And, and a voice cried out from heaven, this from God, this is my son with whom I am pleased, well pleased. So John would have, John would have seen this. He says, I myself, this is um, John chapter 1, verse 33. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, and listen, behold, the Lamb of God. And previously, he added to this, he said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So in verse 37, I'll finish it off, says the, the two disciples who heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Did John stop them from following no. Now, from, from what everybody in here understands about the Old Testament, what is the Lamb of God? What does that refer to? If you talk about a, a lamb, sacrifice, sacrifice right? the, the anointing sacrifice who takes away the sin of the world. So John knew something. You guys get that? John, John knew something. So we're going to, later in um, John 3, his disciples are concerned. So this is John three twenty-five through 30. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, baptism. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, I love this, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So again, what did he, what did he do when the disciples had a concern? His disciples, John's, pointed to Jesus. That's right. And so just as a, as a reference to what's going on right now, where, where is John when the disciples brought the, the message to him, the report, the rumor of everything that was going on. He was in prison. 
This is Luke 3, 18 through 20, just so you get an understanding of, of why John's in prison. It says, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. This is John. But when Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, for all the evil things that Herod had done, he added this to them all, that he locked John up in prison. So at this time, John was in prison, had been locked up by Herod. I'll also um, be pulling a little bit from the parallel passage, which is Matthew eleven two through nineteen, um, as we as we dive into the passage. So, with with all of the the backdrop, the historical context in place, let's let's go into the passage and dig a little deeper. This is Luke seven eighteen through nineteen. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So what things did they report? And I know that was one translation has it, that, um, that there were, in the previous passions, there was uh, rumors went everywhere about Jesus. So what things did they report? It must have been the miracles and the rumors that directly preceded this. And as we read, um, as we uh, learned from the past two weeks, this involved the the healing of the centurion servant and the raising of the widow's son. And there's so there's so much in this. I mean, these seventeen pass these seventeen verses they they could be taught in um, much greater detail. And I just pray that you guys will will kind of seek the Lord throughout the week in some of this. Colin noted last week how Elijah raised a widow's son not far from where Jesus did. Isn't that interesting to you guys? There's just so much to it, the, the layers. After the dead man was raised and given to his mother, we read in Luke 7, uh, 16 and 17, that fear seized them all, the, the great crowd and, and all those from the, from the, uh, the funeral gathering. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report, a rumor about him, spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. They may also have reported that Jesus went to Nain, in verse 11. His disciples and a great crowd went with him. So Jesus had a great crowd following him. So the, the next thing I, I have to ask myself is why did they report these things to John? What was the, what was the motivation behind that? Because they, they took it to John. It's clear from our previous review of John's discourse that he regarded Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and that it is he, Jesus, who comes from above that is above all. John also did not shy away from proclaiming these things to his disciples, that he was not the Christ. And he was not offended when his disciples left to follow Jesus. Again, he was not offended when his disciples left to follow Jesus. We know that John has been in prison for roughly a year at this point, And one of the statements made by Jesus in Luke 4 is that he is to set the captives free. Was John a captive? Shouldn't he be set free? 
John's disciples, the Pharisees, and Jesus regarded John as a prophet. Why was he locked in prison while Jesus was free to roam? In verse 19, we read that based off of what was reported to him, John called two of his disciples to take a message to Jesus. In the Greek, we, it reads, a certain two disciples. So they were handpicked for a specific reason. John chose these two disciples as his trusted envoy. They may have even seen themselves as John's special servants in this matter. Did they know that they were going to talk to the servant of the Lord? From the question that is asked to Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? We can see that there's some level of doubt or confusion surrounding the reports from John's disciples as to who they think Jesus is. Again, considering what we've heard from John, it's hard for me to imagine him as the source of the confusion and doubt. But many scholars have noted that his time in prison, the reference to setting the captives free, and John's knowledge of the Messiah's reign stirred doubt in his mind. But I'm going to show you guys another option to the source of doubt and confusion through my studies that has been made known. Cyril of Alexandria, again Cyril, C-Y-R-I-L, was the patriarch and archbishop of Alexandria from 412 to 444 AD. He was a central figure in the Council of Ephesus in 431 and is considered among the early church fathers. He wrote extensively and was known for his intense research and study of God's word. In his commentary on the Gospel of Luke, translated into English in 1835, and so this is Old English, so bear with me. Cyril exclaims, What hast thou done, O excellent Baptist? Dost thou not know him who thou preachest, being thyself the precursor of this rising, as the morning star proclaims the coming sun? I love that. As the morning star proclaims the coming sun. He responds, this is Cyril. I do not imagine so, but what he did was something wise and well contrived and fit in no slight degree of benefit to his disciples. For they indeed, because they did not yet know Christ inasmuch as his glory and all exceeding majesty was concealed from them, they were even silently stung at his working miracles and surpassing the Baptist and greatness of the deeds wrought by him. We can get an idea of this when John's disciples were concerned that Jesus was also baptizing and that his following was growing greater than John's. Cyril goes on to say that John puts on an appearance of ignorance purposely, not so much that he might himself learn, for as being the forerunner, he knew the mystery, but that his disciples might be convinced how great is the Savior's superiority in that, as the word of the inspired scripture had announced before, he is God and the Lord that was to come. Like Elisha with the men who asked to go find Elijah, 
Elisha knew where he was, but he let them go anyway. John knew who Jesus is, but he let his disciples go anyway. It may have been prudent for John to make Jesus known to his disciples on a personal level. He didn't know when or if he was going to get out of prison. And it was John who was beheaded not long after. We'll move on to the second portion. This is Luke chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus did not give them a lesson on the prophecies regarding the coming Messiah. He proved it to them. He walked it out. The allusion to the words of the prophet Isaiah would not have been lost on them, the disciples of John, and those following, as Jesus reveals himself with power as the Holy One of Israel, the suffering servant of God. I'm going to tell you guys some, um, some passages. So these are the, the prophecies of Isaiah that were revealed in all of this. I'm going to tell you guys the verses, and then it's up to you whether you want to go back and, and read through them. First one is Isaiah 29, 17 through 21. Isaiah 35, 4 through 8. Now, if, if you're going to pick one to read, this is the one. I, I, I suggest that you guys read this before the day is over to kind of, it, it, will, it will mean so much to you. This is uh, Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. This is considered to be the, the first servant song. After performing many miracles confirming his authority, Jesus then replied to their question, to report all of this to John. In verse 23, the word offended stands out. It refers to a trap. It's like the bait stick on a mouse trap. It's where you put the cheese or whatever it is, peanut butter, <laughs> depending upon what the mice like, right? What do you like? <laughs> So what was the trap? The trap was to look for the Messiah to come as the lion of the tribe of Judah who would rule the earth as Israel's king. That's what they wanted. Jesus told them plainly through Isaiah, I am the servant of the Lord, the suffering servant prophesied by Isaiah the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
they wanted the Messiah to come with an iron rod to free them from the oppression of the Romans. But God. But Jesus came in humility, submitted himself to God, even death on a cross, to free us from sin and death. That's the oppression that he freed us from. We'll move on. This is Luke 24. I'm sorry, Luke 7, 24 through 30. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So then Jesus refocuses his attention away from John's disciples, John's messengers. He focuses now on on those following him, the great crowd. Certainly some of them had previously followed John, possibly some, some Pharisees and lawyers in there, as well as his, the, the 12. Jesus, anticipating the thoughts that may arise from the question presented to Jesus by John and his disciples, vindicates John's ministry. Jesus repeats the question, what did you go out to see? Three times. Possibly expecting a response from the crowd. He responds first, a reed swaying in the wind. And this is interesting. There's a lot of prophecy that includes reeds. Reeds were popular in, in Israel and Judea at this time because they were a symbol of the land's fertility. They were so popular that they were placed on one of the coins that Herod had produced. They were also fragile and could easily be broken. The symbolism both alludes to the use of reeds in prophecy and how those who are spiritually fragile are swayed by popular thought. Was John fragile and swayed by popular thought? Surely not. John endured years in the wilderness of being fed by God, eating locusts and wild honey. Again, locusts and wild honey. And at this point, He was experiencing prison 
for what he believed to be true. Jesus, his second, the second response from Jesus. A man dressed in soft clothing? This is also false, since everyone knew that John came to them in camel's hair. That doesn't sound soft. This alludes to the fact that Israel, at that time, was in search of a coming king as their Messiah. Put together, Jesus is calling them out for searching for the wrong things. Jesus' third response was correct, and possibly someone from the crowd called it out. You could imagine him. What then did you come out to see? And somebody's like, a prophet. He's like, yes, a prophet. And John is called more than a prophet. And in the Matthew 11 account, Jesus says that if they can accept it, he is Elijah. Jesus quotes Malachi 3, alluding to the fact that Elijah is to come as a herald before the Messiah. Jesus honors John by saying that of those born by women, John is the greatest. He is the greatest prophet. The next statement in verse 28 that he is the one, or the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he also stands out. And it helps to kind of illuminate what was said before. This is referring to the fact that John is the last prophet, last of the prophets of the old covenant. And specifically, he is the one who gets to see the Messiah. Many of the prophets previously spoken about the Messiah, but he gets to see him. He baptized him. However, John does not get to experience the power of the cross and the resurrection. We're on the other side of this. And those who live in the light of what Christ has done, sacrificing himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we are greater for this. We have a greater privilege. We have a greater understanding of God's relationship to us. How do you guys live that out? Knowing that that turning point in history where so many before didn't know, we know. John came to baptize. Um, this is referring to, to that last piece talking about the, the, the Pharisees and the lawyers and the, the tax collectors. John came to baptize proclaiming repentance for the kingdom of God is near. Because the once-for-all kind of baptism in Jewish culture was essentially reserved for pagans wanting to convert, the religious people were unwilling to accept it for themselves. Again, the religious people were unwilling to accept it for themselves. Those who saw themselves as the religious elite questioned the commitment of other observant Jews and the tax collectors in their spirituality, in their relationship with God. They thought they had it. 
We'll go to the last part. This is Luke 7, 31 through 35. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I love this. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. It seems that Jesus now turns his attention to those who see themselves as the religious elite. To illustrate his point, Jesus brings up a game played by children in public where they mimic a wedding and a funeral, both major parts of life, major traditions. They do this at the same time. The children playing get mad at one another who do not join them in either singing or weeping. Those celebrating do not want weeping and those weeping do not want celebrating. Likewise, they regarded John as an ascetic whose actions more closely resemble someone who is possessed by a demon. They regarded Jesus as a frivolous partier because he ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners. In doing so, they disregarded both of their ministries. Jesus says they're like children playing a game, discounting anyone who does not play with them, showing their immaturity. They're trapped in the traditions of mankind, not seeing either John nor Jesus. Wisdom here, personified as a mother, calls the righteous to follow her as her children. The disciples of both Jesus and John are justified in their pursuit of wisdom when they see who he is, when they believe, as John did, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So I have two applications for you this morning. The first one is confusion and doubt. So again, we we may not ultimately know the source of the confusion and doubt in this passage, but there is confusion and doubt about who Jesus is. And let, let me ask you, is there confusion and doubt about who Jesus is in our current culture? C.S. Lewis famously says that there are only three options to consider. Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or God. How convinced are you that Jesus is who he says he is? I believe that confusion and doubt are part of flesh. We innately experience these things. And it is not necessarily the confusion and doubt that are the issue. It's what we do when we experience them. What did John have his disciples do in the face of confusion and doubt? What did did he have them do? Go to Jesus. Go see yourself. 
And so I say, go to the source. The entire universe came into existence by the word of God. The word was revealed through the prophets and took on flesh, coming in the likeness of man. Jesus experienced everything that we do, everything that we can, and yet did not sin. He told his disciples that it is better that he goes so that the comforter will come. The Holy Spirit speaks only what is revealed from the Father, which is his word. If you're confused or in doubt this morning, or if you know somebody who's confused or in doubt, I plead with you to go to the source to see for yourselves or tell them, go to the source to see for yourselves. What do you have to lose? What do you have to gain? Ask God right now to reveal himself to you or to someone else through his word. When this happens, be prepared to see your sin and repent. That's what light does. It reveals the darkness in our lives. It takes me to the second point. Second point is, don't get trapped. What in this world can free us from the oppression of sin and death? Could it be politics? How about, how about the news? What about sports? How about this one? How about dying in battle for your country? What about getting rid of everyone who we think is the problem? What about making everyone believe the exact same things that we do? Will that free us? Please do not get trapped thinking that there's anything in this world that can free us. It's only by the grace of God that a person can be set free. And this comes through faith. And faith through hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. I'm going to leave you guys this morning with the message of salvation to all. This is Romans 10, 5 through 13. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. 
for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.